It is Oscar week, and you're listening to the February 18th edition of The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's weekly podcast series. This is Brian Brooks, Managing Editor of FilmLink.com. And this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director of the Film Society. On this edition of The Close-Up, we're featuring a conversation with filmmaker Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu and the cast of his multi-Oscar-nominated film, Birdman. Birdman, also known as Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, stars Michael Keaton as a washed-up actor who once played an iconic superhero. He now battles his ego and attempts to recover his family, his career, and himself in the days leading up to the opening of his new Broadway play in New York. Birdman screened as a closing night film of the 52nd New York Film Festival this past October. The film has gone on to win multiple awards from critics groups and film organizations, both in the U.S. and abroad, including two Golden Globe Awards, one for Michael Keaton for Best Actor, as well as a Best Screenplay Motion Picture Prize. Recently, it also won top prizes from the Directors Guild of America, the Writers Guild, and the Producers Guild, positioning it well leading into Oscar night. Birdman continues to wow audiences in theaters since beginning its theatrical run just a week after its New York Film Festival gala screening. Birdman tied Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel with the most number of nominations at the upcoming 87th Academy Awards set for this Sunday in Los Angeles. The film received nine nominations, including Best Picture of the Year, Best Director for Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, Best Actor for Michael Keaton, Best Supporting Actor for Edward Norton, and Best Supporting Actress for Emma Stone. Back in October, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, Michael Keaton, Edward Norton, Naomi Watts, Emma Stone, Zach Galifianakis, and Amy Ryan sat down before a packed house to discuss Birdman with New York Film Festival programming director Kent Jones just hours before its official screening. The conversation begins with Kent asking Alejandro where the idea for the film came from. Let's go now to that conversation. Where did the inspiration for this movie come from? It's an amazing idea to begin with, you know, the movie itself but is doubly amazing, but uh, where did the idea come from? Uh, well, I think the idea came, um, good afternoon everybody, um, uh, basically came from um, this uh, struggling battle that we all have with our ego, and in this case in a personal battle that I have uh, just turned 50 years last year. And suddenly, <laughs> welcome to the club. And, um, and basically, it's just that when you realize and you make kind of a revision of the priorities that you have been given to your life and some things are missing, some things are great and some things are not so great. And then I have been just going in through a retrospection about how the mechanics of my own perception has been. And I thought that it was incredibly interesting what I have been learning to be aware of how the ego can work and in my case, in the creative process, uh, my ego has been always a huge inquisitor, a tyrant kind of dictator that self-loathing, you know, it's, it's very rude and sometimes can be uh, very misleading because sometimes when I'm doing something, I 
said, oh, this is great, it's fantastic, you're a genius. And then 20 minutes later, I feel like a dead jellyfish. And I said, you are a stupid asshole. What do you think? This is a piece of shit. Nobody will care about it. So it's a constant bipolar relation of my process that I thought, well, the ego is a tyrant. And uh, I thought that it would be a cool thing to portray it in a film. So that's the origin. You know? I just want to say, don't restrain yourself or be polite. Because <laughs> no, that's great. And then you have... An incredible cast, you know, that you that you brought to this movie, and you know, it's, we're lucky to have them all here today. Um, well, I think uh, honestly, without without all these great actors and actresses, this film couldn't have been made. I mean, I think uh, not only because obviously actors supposedly are the ones who portray a bigger ego, but that's not true. I think in this case, I, I always think that politicians and even my dentist has more ego than actors. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, though, your dentist is quite good. <laughs> exactly. exactly. He's an asshole. He makes me suffer and he feels great and I pay him. But anyway, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that, honestly, I think all of us you know, you know, laugh about ourselves, but I think the, 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 the job that Michael and all of them made, it was extremely difficult, demanding, and we were laughing about ourselves because we have some sterlings or vultures egos, but we all were reflected in that, and more than laughing of anybody, we were laughing about ourselves. So it was a stealth therapy, but I think the craft and the humanity and the, what they bring to the film was basically what made the film. I, I think without, I mean, it's, it's their film, I have to say. And these guys made you suffer? True. Tried. Yeah. I go through what Alejandro Alejandro goes through. I, I I do the same thing. I go through, you know. I think, oh, you're the greatest. You're wonderful, and you're all these wonderful things. And then, like Alejandro, 20 minutes later, the difference is, 20 minutes later, I go, no, you're actually more than that, Michael. You're actually. <laughs> it keeps getting bigger. Thanks so much. Congratulations. What an extraordinary. Uh, film uh, for, for everyone. For Michael Keaton, what is this uh, amazing re, uh, career reemergence felt like uh, since uh, the film opened in Venice for you? And what do you think about this character you're playing, this very contradictory, uh, you know, actor, writer, director? Is, is he crazy? Is he depressed? Is he uh, hearing voices or whatever and did you keep a birdman outfit uh the first answer how does it feel it feels good uh the second is uh what was the second i'm sorry oh what i think about the character uh uh the character is Alejandro, so you should ask him. <laughs> no, the character is uh really really um you know um, one of the most difficult um, things I've done, not in terms of the character necessarily, but in terms of how the film was made. And you know, you, you've seen it now, so you know, you go, you have to, uh, within sometimes 30 seconds or 49 seconds, you have to surf a lot of different uh, emotions and, and, uh, and, you know, be part of this giant picture, uh, fit into this giant picture um, and because this picture is always shifting and moving it's got so many levels so therefore it was really really difficult but I like that I like I like difficult um, most of the time um, and no to the third question did I keep one and what a great idea and how stupid am I not to keep one of those but I'm now thinking of a way to get one so 
Um, this is, is oh, yeah, it's on. Hi, um, Michael. This is a question for you, and then I guess the rest of the cast could chime in if they'd like. Um, no, they can't. But go they ahead. They can't. Sure. All right. Um, you were also in another film that had to deal with critics in Broadway called Game Six, which right. I which I really enjoy. And I was wondering, since this is something that you've touched upon in two films, both recently, um, do you have any thoughts on the role critics play in uh, the the you know in just careers? Um, no, I, this is where I'm. I, Really a dope, uh, and, uh, and certainly in other ways as well. But the the uh, I don't I make it really simple. I used to think the job, you know, when you start doing this, and you know, when it's the first play I ever did back in Pittsburgh, uh, someone walked up and said, "Hey, I read the thing in the paper. They said you were real good, something like that." And I I hadn't even thought of that part, and I still often don't think of that part. But but what I thought originally was, well, you know, you should be courageous and read everything. And I did that a couple of times, and I thought, well, I don't want to do that anymore. That's just, that's just miserable. So, so I don't really bother. Not like, oh, I don't bother. I just don't do it. And, and I admittedly, if someone says, hey, you got a really nice review, I'll read it. I'll go, oh, okay, I'm willing to make myself feel better. You know, I'm, I ain't going to fight that. It's real simple for me. But I think, unless I'm really stupid here, and there's a strong possibility that's true, uh, I think I've been treated basically fairly, but I, I'm the wrong person to ask, you know. There's probably a lot of you out there going, oh, no, you haven't. Um, but I think, I think it's been basically pretty fair. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad, you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask in a lot of ways. I really like uh, Game 6, by the way. That was a very, yeah, that was a really nice, that was Don DeLillo uh, the story, really. Does anyone else down the line have a comment about critics? Yeah. <laughs> Got anything you want to vent? How long do we have? <laughs> Does this? Hi. Um, the thing I'd like to say, I think, is that um, what I really love in the film, <clears throat> I love that there's a critical presence in the film because, for me, um, and and I don't read reviews because I find them debilitating, not because I don't respect them. The relationship that I that I have, especially in theatre with critics, is that though it may sometimes from actors come across as sort of a hostile thing, I think actually it just what it is is fear. Um, and Michael was talking earlier about the the thick fog that you see in Los Angeles when you come in, being a, a thick layer of fear lying over the city, and um, and so the reverence. That, that I feel, in, you know, in response to the critics, really, is what it is. It's, it's, it's more like fear. You know, they saw Gambon do his bit back in the day, and now they're going to come and see me. It makes me just want to shit myself. <laughs> so, I think... We don't want that. It's just inappropriate. <laughs> Not yeah, that's all I'm going to say there. And I, I've never had a bad review, so I... <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, but it, it sounds familiar, but uh, I've heard people talk about it, uh, but I've never had one, so it's, it's great. Yeah, uh, when it came to developing your role, each of you, in this, a theater person for a film, I, I'd like to know from those of you who've had your own real theater experience, and I think pretty much you all have, um, how you translate that theater experience, your history, into doing it here in a film. Uh, how that character uh, developed 
in part perhaps because of experiences you have had in the theater, disastrous or not. I mean, this is a piece with a fair amount of magical realism in it. Uh, I, it made me suddenly realize, yes, I've seen some magical theater, realism in, in theater in my own life. Uh, fortunately, it hasn't happened to me. It's happened to those around me. Uh, the whole thing of getting locked out of the dressing room in your underwear. I've, I've seen people go through these things. So, uh, are you in casting or something? <laughs> so I'd like to know from you to tell us about your experience as an actor or actress on stage and how this translated into this role. Ask the theater folks. Well, I, I can say that I haven't done a huge amount of theater, but um, just from back in the days where we were studying and, you know, doing plays then, um, a lot of my nightmares revolve around being on a stage and forgetting my lines or having the wrong clothes on or no clothes at all. And, you know, it is that classic recurring nightmare. Um, a lot in the way this film was shot um, with the speed and the um, high stakes and the technicalities and the dependency on each other and, um, and the also the effects, you know, the prop things, the, the cameras, the lighting and the removing of tables and putting them back, you know, all of those things sort of um, created this high level of intensity and pressure um, that felt sort of emblematic of how it feels on the stage, well, at least my long-time memories um, from far ago, far, from long ago. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I think uh, the process of making this film was, was so thoroughly enjoyable and so disciplined um, that I think I can speak for most of us that, that the actual making of it was as good as, as, as the result. And, um, and we were saying before that, you know, we had such a great experience doing that, that it almost, I mean, of course, it's, there's nothing greater than being in a film that translates to audiences and makes people think and feel good and walk away with, with great, great um, revelations in their own life of some kind. Um, so, but when the process and the experience and the fun of that matches, um, it's, it's a good feeling. I spent a lot of my early career uh, in the theater, and by that I mean as an usher. <laughs> Just down the street here at Second Stage. But never anything uh, as serious theater as Between Two Ferns, so why don't I let Zach comment? We're bringing it to uh, Broadway, Between Two Ferns. Uh, <laughs> I've had the same dream uh, that Naomi has uh, of seeing Naomi on stage naked. <laughs> it, it's not a nightmare, believe me. <laughs> Can you tell yet that this was a semi-serious film made by deeply unserious people? Hi, my question is for Emma. Um, you're making your Broadway debut next month, and congratulations. And I was just wondering, in this movie, they present an attitude of like a movie person translating to stage and meeting hostility. Are you concerned with that at all, or have you experienced that at all? And I hope not. Well, you know, I did write the character of Sally Bowles. 
and I am directing the production. Um, so I, I'm de- no, I, I, you know, of course, this movie brings up a lot of you know horrible fears of coming into the Broadway community and having uh, Tabitha be your reviewer. Uh, Manola. <laughs> what? Manola. Manola. Oh God. Um, no, it's it feel it feels very different. It feels very different. But I will say that making this movie and kind of what we had to contend with as actors in 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 making something like this, all of the pieces that Naomi was talking about and the kind of you know table moving out and needing to rely on each other the way that a company does. Um, I think is incredibly helpful now going into theater in that way and realizing that you're, you know, it, it, you operate very much as a unit. We all operate as a unit and on a lot of films it's not that way at all. It's a very separate experience. So, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm nervous as hell. I'm terrified. It's going to be, I'm shitting myself, like Andrea said. <laughs> hey, um, Great film, guys. Uh, this question's for Michael, Edward, and Emma, I guess, and if anybody else wants to sound in. But, um, you know, the superhero movie is undeniably taking over Hollywood right now. And what was the fun in playing in the usual superhero tropes and doing a superhero movie without doing a superhero movie? I mean, Emma most recently, obviously, has been involved with one. And uh, a follow-up with Zach. Uh, are we going to see Between the Two Ferns with Edward? I think he wants to get one in there. Um, one of my favorite. Uh, I passed before he could reje- <laughs> before he rejected me. Um, one of the f- uh, there's that great moment in the movie where uh, and for some reason I wasn't ready for this and I read the script and I knew what we were movie we were making. Um, it's so fun when he's when Birdman makes a, his on his uh, appearance on screen and then right after that, awesome those special effects that come in. I mean, it's just out of nowhere, and I, I totally dig it. I go, yeah, there's a little treat, a little big, you know, megaplex uh, action superhero movie uh, dose for you right there. Uh, besides that, you know, it was just, I don't know, just, not, you know, I mean, just another gig that happened to be a really extraordinarily demanding uh, gig. <laughs> Um, Michael and I went over to New York Comic Con yesterday and um, to do a little panel there. And in the dark, right before we went on, I looked at Michael and said, do you think this is the ultimate bait and switch that's ever been pulled on a Comic Con audience? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, Can you imagine if you go to this actually thinking it's a superhero movie? <laughs> I went to see, uh, what's the great, is it James Joyce? Who, who wrote, uh, who, uh, uh, John Huston directed one of the last movies, uh, um, The Dead. Dead yeah. It's a James Joyce yeah. novel, isn't it right? And, and I, <laughs> no, no, that was The Fucking Dead. No, uh, that, so I showed up and I thought, oh, this will be curious. You know, John Huston, I got to go see this. And there were, there were these guys, you could tell, they totally thought it was a. They thought it was a horror movie. They were, yeah. They showed up like, like sitting there, just, yeah, right, waiting, waiting, waiting. All of a sudden, you hear mumbling in the bed. Go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then, and then I just kept like clocking them. And in like in about minute fourteen, they go, they're going like, fuck this. <laughs> Great film. Thank you so much. 
for the actors. Can you discuss when you might have found yourselves blurring the lines between celebrity and acting and how you handled that? Who's that? Blurring the line between celebrity and acting? Yes. Can you define your terms, please? <laughs> who's, who's that question for? Can you use it in a sentence? It's not a I'm sorry. What is the language no, of origin? Did it make sense? <laughs> I know what she's sense? asking. Yes, it makes sense. Okay. I, I, can't, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I'm just trying to make her feel better. Uh, blur the lines between acting and... Like, I... Being a celebrity is, is shit. You know, it's dumb, and I'm not interested in it. I like to be an actor, and that's it. The blurred lines are, I think, man-made. I think celebrity is a man-made thing. It's not innate in us. We have people telling us, oh, we should pay attention to these people for the wrong reasons, you know, their personal lives and that stuff. I think everybody here, just from working with them, they're very regular, normal, good, good people, and I think that's what they're interested in is just being actors. And the celebrity part that comes with it is... For me, it's difficult to manage. I'm not interested in it whatsoever, uh, the picture taking and all that stuff, because I would, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. I would rather just do my work and go home and you know watch uh, Lifetime or something. So I, uh, I, if that's what you're asking, I don't know if you are, but uh, I just wanted to eat up some time. There is, a, there is a line that is uh, written in the mirror of Regan Thompson in the dressing room that is uh, Susan Sontag said, uh, a thing is what, it, is what it is, not what it is said of that thing. And this is kind of the struggle of, of, of him, right? I mean, it's no matter uh, what we said about anything, but that thing will not never be what we said about that thing. So even when we talk about the, what the film is, it will never be the film. The film is what it is, and no matter what we said or you said, is not what that thing it is. So, in a way, this, is this question is implicit to the character that he's trying to get away from criticism of whatever it says about what he do, but he wants to be basically attached to what he is, finding himself. So that's kind of a difficult task. Also, I don't think I don't think celebrity now. I don't think it's. I think everybody's kind of a celebrity now. I mean, I think, really, you know, anybody can be anything. You, you know, know, the dog who runs into the wall dreaming is a bigger celebrity than any of us No, on truly. Stage, I, I, mean, I, I worked with him. And, uh, <laughs> great guy, great guy. No, it's true, everybody is. And because of YouTube or because anyone can be... What, I think people, a lot of people now are walking around in their own movie, you know, doing their own movie and thinking they're in this. These this, guys are all making one right not, now. This is not a big deal anymore, I don't think. I don't think people are knocked out by celebrity. So while they're enamored by it, I guess, and by magazines, I don't think it's that big a deal anymore. I don't think it's, there's no, you know what I mean? I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, I think everybody's kind of uh, uh, their own celebrity in their own head. And, you know, they kind of are. You know, it's just, we're really living in this really weird world uh, uh, where People are everywhere. It's like everyone's omnipresent, you know? You're listening to The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. The Film Society app, now available for iOS, iPhone, and iPad, and Android devices, lets you browse and discover our year-round programs and films, get the latest ticketing alerts and breaking festival news, share with friends via social media, create your own custom schedule, and more. Download the Film Society app for free at iTunes and Google Play. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. And now, back to our program. 
um, you've chosen to use a play with all these film actors here. Broadway has had a lot of film actors in the last five years come to do plays on Broadway because they will sell tickets. So I'm interested in knowing why you wanted to tell your story through a play which does not have magic realism normally on the stage. And all the special effects are very much movie references other than perhaps Superman, uh, Spider-Man. So why did you choose the play as the center of the story as a setting of the story rather than something else. You mean that particular play or a play? The play being the setting of the story, everything revolves around the fact that they're in the theater making a play, all the backstory comes onto the stage. Yes, well, I think that was uh, an essential part of this uh, development of the story. You know, once I have this idea, you know, uh, um, uh, my co-writer partners and I really decide that I think this short story of Raymond Carver, it was, for me, it was a very, very important part to be decided because it could have been a play that we made up or another outdoor, but I think uh, this is not only one of my favorite writers that has the capacity of really going to the human heart and the flaws and, and limitations of human beings with love. And even when their characters, Carver characters can be pathetic, they are lovable and adorable and complex and human. And so, and what those characters in that short story are looking and question is what love is about, what, what means that? And they are looking for love. And I think I wanted a play that in a way will be projected and suddenly the character Regan Thompson will be playing and suddenly the play will take his life and he will become one of the characters as he's trying to be in that same. So in the, as you understand, I, well, I think that the game was always that, that the film was a, about the play of a guy that was working in a film, making a film about the play that is, you know, it was a meta dialogue. So in a way, that particular Raymond Carver short story became the essential quest of the character in the film. And that's why I decided to start it with that poem of Raymond Carver that he wrote when he was 50 years old, which is when he died. He was dying and it was the last poem that he wrote, which is, did you get from life what you expected? And said, yes, I did. And what did you expect? I expect to be beloved, to feel beloved. So that is what we human beings are looking for, I think, no matter who you are. And I think that's what Regan Thompson is looking, validation, love, affection and he realized that all his life. So that play became an essential part, and I was lucky to have Tess Gallagher, the widow of Raymond Carver, to allow us to use that play, uh, because I think it's an essential part. It's, it's the DNA of, of the, the film. This question's for Ed Norton. Um, your portrayal of a like really intense method actor was really great. Um, I was just wondering if you based it on anything or how you came up with the character. Um, pe people ask me what like actors I was referencing and stuff, and I always say that I basically just looked four feet to my left at Alejandro um, because I I felt I'm wearing his scarf in the movie. I'm wearing his jacket. Um, uh, everything I say in the movie, I've I've heard him say, or I know he wants to say. Um, no, let, let me let me interrupt you because there was a very funny moment. That one of my favorite moni, moments in doing the film, I was we were basically rehearsing that scene, 
where basically, you know, Regan Thompson is trying to get him to the lines and they are discussing about it and he just has jumping and he's trying just to warm him up and obviously Mike Shiner take over and began to direct him and, and suddenly I was explaining uh, uh, Edward, you know, how the movement and the camera and the pace and everything and he began to question me about it. Wait a minute, but why I should say that? So suddenly, the meta dialogue, he was basically directing me, saying what the actor was saying, and I was looking at the page, I said, oh my God, this is a fucking mirror in the mirror in the mirror. <laughs> it was so funny. My entire performance constituted dropping the Mexican accent. <laughs> and that was it. Um, you know, for a while in rehearsals, I was saying, exactly. <laughs> Cabron. <laughs> oh, I did get the cabron yes, in. Yes, Do you I remember? You, know, you are a good cabron. Yeah. Um, no, I. I uh, um, there might have been. There might have been a single actor who I really, when I was growing up, um, was a huge fan of, and who was n notorious in the New York theater for his um, alcoholic uh, anarchism. Um, but he was he was he was a distant second to Alejandro as inspiration. <laughs> I just got the alcoholic and the other thing, but not the. Um, I wanted to ask about the um, camera work, working with the camera. The camera being another character in the film. We were so close, and it was so visceral. As an actor and actress, how were you guys with that? And what kind of things did you have to deal with from a technical aspect, and also from a craft and acting crafts uh, aspect? I would like I would like just to say one thing technical about it. I would like to really make a, a, a comment about uh, the, the the guy behind the camera, which is Emmanuel Lubeski, which is another Mexican guy, which is a chivo. Uh, and I think the work that he did was uh, incredibly challenging. And obviously, as you the question that you mentioned, I think it will good that they talk about their experience in the other side. But in this side, what it was very very. Uh, different from anything that I have done before was that all the decisions has to be made before we start shooting. So basically all the camera work, all the, all the, all the blocking and all the lighting was pre-designed in advance uh, with months in advance. So there was no improvisation. Everything was precise, meticulously, you know, study and design. Since the script was obviously, that was the notion and the idea. So everything born being you know, that it will be perceived as a long one, one shot. And that is uh, the challenging thing, not only the notion of it, as you know, as writers, when you write without commas or without, you know, uh, dots, it's very difficult to really separate ideas. And so film is a fragmentation experience, right? You, you fragment time and space, but without that, with the without the editing, everything has to happen in the flow and so you, you, you have to really get everything together and being editing and being making choices in that time without manipulating after, you can't. So the difficulty was the point of view where this camera will be located to tell the story right, who has to be in frame or not, who has to be the listener. So there was no a lot of possibilities to shoot a comedy in one shot with one camera is almost a suicidal attempt. Uh, uh, it, it, and, and one director recommended me that I should quit the enterprise because I was running to disaster and maybe he was right. Everything could have been so wrong. But thanks for the extreme rehearsals and the technical stability of Chivo and obviously incredible performance of these guys that are sitting in front of you, 
everything turns hopefully fine. But um, the challenge of that is that there was no light, uh, shooting film lights, everything was practical lights. And sometimes it was 360 degrees in tiny corridors with guys with microphones. So all that thing that they talk about, the, the things moving and you have to be behind him and then you go in under the legs of somebody and then crawl and go to the other side. It was kind of kids playing a theater play and the camera going around with a 17 millimeters lens, which is a wide shot. So every bit, every line, every joke, every open door has to be performed exactly the same because we were a band playing live without possibility to go to the studio and edit and move the things. It was, has to be right. It's like to write an article or write a book without the chance to correct it, to, to go into the computer and erase something. So everything that was printed there will be forever and there was no net. So the camera too, as these guys were really performing and giving their most honest performance and I was shitting my pants behind the monitor, Chibo has to be basically doing that, the focus puller has to be in focus in the moment that he looked there, then two steps, then one guy come and then the focus has to be, so any hesitation will ruin the film, for, you know, that take. And that was kind of the, electric, the electricity that we're, we were all living. So in that, in this side of the technical aspect was really, Unnerving, very, very, very nerving. And now I think they have to talk about what was their experience well, in the other I, side. I'll say watching he, uh, uh, watching the team of Alejandro and uh, uh, Emmanuel Chivo, uh, Emmanuel Lubetsky, is really an ex something to behold because they will for sure make you crazy. But you never feel when you watch what they work because they're perfectionistic and they're artists. And I, I almost never throw that word around, but this is this, this, that's real, a real easy word for me to use, not only about uh, the, those two guys, but all these guys. Um, when you watch them work together, you, you, you have to come up to that, you know, and if otherwise you're a punk and, you know, uh, you're, just, you're just dead weight. So, and, and the thing about how Chivo shoots and why, you know, Ed, Edward was talking about this earlier, why he, what he did in this is arguably uh, greater than what he achieved when he, when he shot Gravity, is the shots, I never got the feeling that anything he did or Alejandro did or they did together in terms of where the camera was, when, how, when the it was almost, I don't ever remember it being uh, uh, indulgent in terms of for the shot's sake. Dig it? It was always the way, uh, uh, he has this uncanny way of shooting a shot that helps just move the story, right? Could it, correct? It's always about. It's always about. Is this shot helping tell this kind of? Even if it's magical realism or whatever that's called. Even if it's all all that. You know what I mean? It's about the story. It's about moving the story story along. I, I will say. I will add something. Which that. makes it. I'm sorry. Really. And when you do that and make it beautiful, that's now you're compounding the the issue. You know. I just want to add something that the challenge came, I, and I, th I have to give credit to my co-writers, Nicolás Giacoboni, Alexander Dinelaris, and Armando Bo, which the challenge from the conception was there, and then the translation of that, which I talk about Chivo, and I think that what Michael is saying is true, because one of the most difficult things as a director is always to ask, which is the point of view? No matter if you are having three cameras and you are doing the classic coverage of the wide shot, the master, and then the over the shoulder, then the clean close up, and all that, to have all those choices and have six months in a dark room and editing and manipulating and hiding your mistakes and things like that, that that's the beauty of this editing thing. But without that, that was a challenge. And I always was terrified that suddenly this will become a visual 
I would say, distraction or a gadget that will be misinterpreted that it was a showy technical stuff, which we always were conscious that never this technique should be taken over by the technique itself. Always was about who, what, who has to be in front and what is the point of view of the characters to make people feel the emotional madness that they are going. So we could have done more showy things, but always was, we tried to maintain it honest to, to I would say to the dramatic tension of the thing, and that was the hardest decision. I was tempted sometimes to say, what about if we flow that? But always the question was, no, what is about the story? What this is wanted? And, uh, and I think for these guys, well, they can tell you, but I think uh, there's something I feel, as, as, as I experience, there's something dictatorial about that thing that you have to absolutely control, and there's no improvisation, no freedom. But the way that you are a slave to the system make you free because then you have to just craft it so much that then you are liberated by all those questions and they just have to be attached to the motion of the moment, you know? I, but I, they can tell you what they feel in the other side, you know? I'm wondering if Amy Ryan could chime in here because we haven't heard from you yet. <laughs> yes, please. Hello. <laughs> uh, I, something, there is these happy accidents that happen during the rehearsal process of, I'm, speaking from my experience at the scene with Michael where I come into the dressing room and when we first rehearsed that we just thought well we would be sitting here talking by these chairs oh, no there's no room for the camera crew and the sound well we'll sit on the couch here and then we're like no we don't fit there either it's like Michael's like well I'll just lay on the counter <laughs> and that that was the only place really that it worked best for every moving part in the scene boom operator Chivo myself Michael and now I can't think of a better choice for that. That's exactly where he should be in that moment. <laughs> you just lie on your dressing table. So there's, um, the, you know, uh, Alejandro said, that, you know, everything was so meticulously choreographed, but yet these uh, magical discoveries came from being uh, limited in some ways. It's, that's obviously a, a, a contradiction, but um, there were so many surprises. So. But it was amazing, amazing to be in it and of it and to watch it. And you rarely get to experience it in all those different ways as an actor, as an audience. I mean, I've seen it twice now and it, it uh, moves me and makes me laugh really hard. But, so, that's it. I'm going back to listening now. <laughs> uh, this question is for Alejandro. Uh, this film is completely different from anything you've done before from all the other films in terms of tone, in terms of cinematography, performances. How do you make a film that's completely different from your body of work and still make it an Alejandro Inconsanesignarito film? Well, I think that in a way, funnily, I think the film is the same. I think the characters are as torture as any film that I have done. <laughs> it's just the approach is different. You know, I think that uh, in, in my point of view, this uh, suddenly in order to survive not the events that this guy go through and the questions about the meaning of life and what life is about i decide that i want to make after so much you know spicy food that i have had i want a dessert and i want some the rest in my tongue and i was so <laughs> spicy already that but i think in, in a way in order to survive those events i think if you take an approach that is lighter and the humor not not irony or cynicism that has overwhelm our pop culture so much that I'm tired and bored and mad about it. But in a way that is, is the same events of life, that life take care that all of us will fail in our solemn attempts to succeed and transcend 
in our stupid ideas of transcendent uh, art or or money making or uh, or whatever importance we think we are life will take care to tell us no and that i found it incredibly tragic but at the same time beautifully funny and i think i decide to approach those tragic events in a different way upside down so i think this film is a little twisted because i think if you don't do that well, i learned already at 50 years old that if you don't take life with that humor not cynicism but humor you can survive and you will become a bitter guy so i decide to do that maybe is the age but i think that's the only way that we as human beings can survive laughing about ourselves a little bit and have a little better time and you know that's that's how i thought about it. Can, can i just say in response to that and also maybe in the theme of uh how do you respond to critics my i think my favorite response i've seen in a long time to a critic was we were sitting at the Venice Festival and some of the reviews were coming in and our producer was looking at them and and he kind of like went, you know, fantastic, 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 good. And Alejandro goes, who said good? You know, and then and the, then, then he, he goes into that, the, the, he reads into it and, and, and it was a very nice review. But of course, this critic had to take a moment to you know, maintain his own credibility and say that he had not liked Alejandro's other films. And he said it was a relief to see him get away from the turgid, semi-religious pretentiousness to encompass all the emotion of the world. And, Alej and Alejandro goes, turgid, semi-religious pretentiousness to encompass all the emotion of the world? That sounds fantastic! <laughs> well... The guy was a good guy. I think Cartel has taken care of him already. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming today. Thank you. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Oatmark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.